Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Log Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. It's a great pleasure to have the opportunity of having Dr. Bernie Siegel on the show today to discuss his new book, Three Men, Six Lives. Bernie Siegel is a New York Times bestselling author, lecturer, founder of the ECAP, Exceptional Cancer Patients Program, and a retired pediatric general surgeon. He's been called a leading teacher of the mind-body connection and is also known for his groundbreaking book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. Dr. Siegel is also a co-author with his grandson, Charlie Siegel, of their book of short writings and poetry entitled, When You Realize How, everything, How Perfect Everything Is. Today, Bernie continues to impart wisdom about the true nature of life and love in his entertaining and enlightening debut fiction novel, Three Men, Six Lives. A grand adventure born of Bernie's experience of his current and past lives awaits you. When three conflicted men search for deeper meaning in their lives, through their sometimes painful and amusing explorations, they discover there are no coincidences. John Hockman, Hockma, an empathetic psychotherapist, George Dingfelder, a stressed-out Jewish physician, and Carmine Birismato, an Italian crime boss who doesn't deny he's a racketeer. Life begins to make sense when John attends a past-life workshop held by famed Dr. Brian Weiss and relives his past-life trauma as a troubled teenage boy. What he remembers steers the direction of his life and the lives of George and Carmine. Join this unlikely trio as they learn that love not only heals, but it endures. Sometimes the paths in life that looks like detours are just different ways to get to where we are meant to be going all along. It's a great pleasure I introduce Dr. Siegel to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hello, Siegel. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big fan of you, sir. I want to ask you, what prompted you to write Three Men, Six Lives? Well, I've lived one of the stories. And, um, you know, one of the characters... Um, <clears throat> Dingfelder is uh, 
a surgeon, and it was me. And it happened to me totally accidentally and taught me something. I may, just to correct the names, it's Carmine Berzamato and uh, okay. Jonathan Hokma. But anyway, okay. <clears throat> one day, well, like, I'm on, I'm, you're being interviewed. Uh, you're interviewing me. My phone rang like five minutes before the interview, and I picked it up, and I said to the person, I really don't have time to talk. I have an interview coming up. And she said, why are you living this life? Because she knew how busy I was. And I said to her, oh, my God. She said, what's the matter? I said, I just went into a trance when you said, why are you living this life? I saw myself with a sword in my hand, killing Maybe that's why I became a surgeon, to help people with a knife. And we talked for a minute about it, and then it ended. But many months later, I was on a plane cross-country, not accompanied by my wife, just sitting there quietly, and I spontaneously went into that trance again, and I saw the whole episode work out. And the way I would say it to people is, Imagine yourself sitting in a movie theater or in front of the, you know, your um, <clears throat> television and seeing yourself as an actor in the movie. And that's what I felt like. I was watching myself. And let me get down to the key, which I share in the book, because I was a knight. I'm sure it was in Ireland. Um, the lord of the castle called me in. He said, look... Our neighbor is driving me crazy, impinging on our property. I want you to go and kill his daughter and teach him a lesson. And I said, why don't I kill him? And he said, no, I want you to kill the daughter. I said, what if I don't? I'll kill you. So I went and killed her. And literally, what I visualized was going to their castle, making an excuse if I could stay overnight, uh, that I was traveling through, and they said, sure. I found out the room that the young woman slept in, and at night I went up because I wanted to kill her in her sleep and not cause her so much pain. And I walk in, and she has a dog there, and he made noise and woke her up. So I killed the dog, thinking I could quiet him, but it didn't work. And then I turned to kill the young woman, and she turned and looked at me, and it was my wife in this life. And I literally chopped her head off and cried oh. for hours. And oh. then I went back and handed it to my Lord and said, okay, you're happy now. Look what you caused me to do. He said, no, it was your decision, not mine. And I went for therapy. Oh. I mean that literally. And James Hillman, the Jungian therapist, I went in to see him, and I started telling him the story. I said, my Lord asked me to kill the neighbor's daughter, and he immediately stopped me. He said, Bernie, did you hear what you said? My Lord. I said, it's the Lord of the castle. He said, no, Bernie, it's your Lord. And I said to him, oh, my. I realize now how much it was about faith. I said, because I always questioned Abraham and Jesus. Abraham was told, in a sense, the same thing. I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. Now, if I was standing there, I probably would have said, hey, God, take me, leave the kid alone. But he said, okay. 
and his faith, his son isn't sacrificed. He comes home with Isaac. An angel appears. Um, and I often, with a sense of humor, thought if I were Jesus, I would have jumped off the cross and said, do you people see what I'm capable of? Now, would you all pay attention to me, and let's get everything straight. But what I did when he made me go home and pay attention to the word Lord, it really woke me up to what I was being asked to do. And so when the Lord said, kill the neighbor's daughter, I said, fine. And he said, Bernie, no, I just wanted to know you had the faith I needed. I want you to go there and convince them to come here and let us work this out. The next thing that really struck me was reading a story one day years ago about a guy who buys a farm and he's digging up, you know, to plant things and he hits a box and he opens it and it's filled with treasures. So he calls the owner of the farm he bought it from and says, hey, this is yours. No, no, it's yours. You bought the farm. It's yours. No, it's yours. No, it's yours. And the guy goes by and says, hey, look, you got a daughter. You got a son. Tell them to get married and give them this as a wedding present. And when I read that, it really struck me. I don't know why. What a wonderful way to solve things. And then I thought back to how my wife and I are now married. And yes, you know, that woman was my wife. And I thought, wow, we have healed our families. We have gotten married. In a sense, the land could be ours. And then there's nothing for these two guys to fight over because it's all one family. And that was a big part of my past and, and really that experience of the past life. I know it's real and I know it's a part of all of us. It's the consciousness of someone who has lived before us. And so when I say past life, I don't mean it was really me, if you know what I mean. But it's the consciousness of that man that's now in me. And our bodies, I always, I also had a near-death experience as a four-year-old choking on a toy. And I always began to say to people, the boy on the bed, and after a while I thought, why do you keep saying the boy on the bed because I was out of my body looking down, see. I, it's mm-hmm. you. And I thought, no, it isn't me. That's why I'm saying it. It's the body. And not me. I'm out here. And the boy on the bed is simply representing the body, the boy's body. And so, you know, all these things have come together in my life, not because I sought them, but because I've experienced them. Things have happened to me. I always say my life should be a movie because it's just unbelievable what has happened to me. Even from the day of my birth, I I might as well add this, my mother was so sick with hyperthyroidism, she had lost an enormous amount of weight, and the doctor said, don't become pregnant. You could die from the stress of the pregnancy. And I became (laughs) pregnant. I mean, I, she became pregnant. You were born. And was too weak to deliver me. She was in labor for a week or two, she said, screaming, and they finally said, we have to get him out. You can't survive a cesarean section, she was told, so they reached in, what's called a high forceps, grabbed my head and pulled me out. Um, And my mother said, they handed me a purple melon, not a child. 
<laughs> but again, um, my grandmother saved my life. See, my parents were hiding me to not upset people. My grandmother took me, poured oil all over me. This is a quote from my mother, and pushed everything back where it belonged four or five times a day. <laughs> so I knew I became the most loved kid on the planet. And to add one more so-called bizarre circumstance, how we maintain body memories. When I was 50 years of age, um, I went for a massage with my wife to the therapist, and the guy who we usually had it done by said, you know, I'm really busy today. Can I just take one of you, and my wife will do, you know, the other one. So I said... um, Okay, I mean, I'll I'll go with your wife because my wife likes, you know, your coarse, strong hands. So he said, fine. So she's massaging me and my head, which was shaved at that time, and my face. And I know I went back into a trance and became that infant again because it was like bringing back my grandmother's hands, a woman's hands. And... It was a beautiful experience for me. But when I opened my eyes, the room was filled with people. I said, what the hell are you all doing here? And her husband said, we thought you had a heart attack or a stroke. We couldn't communicate with you. I said, yeah, I became an infant again. So when you have all these things happen in your life, you know they're real. It's not whether I believe in something or not. If you remember back when they started talking about near death, uh, a lot of doctors would say, oh, that's something going on in the brain. It has nothing to do with blah, blah, blah. And then a doctor has a near-death experience and writes a book called Heaven, you know, uh, or somebody else did Heaven is for Real, I think, when his child had a near-death experience. Then suddenly it's, it's for real. And I know all these things are for real. And what impresses me also is when you see a five-year-old getting up on the stage and playing a violin, you know, with a concert orchestra, you say, how the hell did that kid manage it? Well, I remember the words of one five-year-old. He said, the first time I ever saw a violin, I ran over and grabbed it and held it close to me. I don't know why I did it. And I would say, I know why. Because inside of you, there is a violinist, that consciousness. So that's why I wanted to share the three men's six lives, to open people's minds that these are real stories. Uh, you know, as I said, it, it's an, what I called a nonfiction novel in the sense that the people are real. Uh, I, I, excuse me, the people are real, but I've changed their names so nobody will recognize them. So the characters become fiction, but their stories... Sure are true. And Brian Weiss, uh, I was a surgeon at Yale. Brian was a student. Mm-hmm. I never forget him saying, I love a psyche. He was in psychiatry. I, I love being in the operating with, room with you because you aren't a normal surgeon. Because <laughs> I, I had an open mind. I talked to people while they were anesthetized. And we learned. They hear you. You know, the anesthesiologist thought I was nuts, but Patients would wake up and talk about the conversation. Or like one woke up and said, I didn't hear the end of the joke. 
And the anesthesiologist said, what are you talking about? And he told them the joke. He had heard a part of it, but he didn't hear the end. And one that was most wow. dramatic, and then I'll try to stop and if you have a question. Oh, you're good. <laughs> a man had a, a, you know, a cardiac arrest while we were operating. And the anesthesiologist said, Bernie, I can't get his heart going again. I'm going to call for the stretcher to take him to the morgue. And crazy Siegel, I yelled out, John, it's not your time yet. Come on back. (laughs) And his heart started beating again. And I never forget the anesthesiologist saying to me, I really like working with you. <laughs> but and he recovered completely. Yeah. Wow. And I well, also learned because I mentioned to you I had shaved my head in the 1970s, mm-hmm. totally out of context. Everybody was wearing their hair down to their shoulders. Our kids were, oh God, they were so, you know, fed up with their crazy father. But then I read Jung, and it said. The reason monks shave their head is a symbol of uncovering spirituality. And that has been one of the struggles in my life. Because even Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when I went to one of her workshops, I drew a picture for her. She looked at it and said, Bernie, what are you covering up? I said, what are you asking me that for? I draw an outdoor scene. Yes, but you have a mountain with snow on it. And you used a white crayon. The paper is already white. You didn't need a crayon. You added a layer. And when I painted a portrait of myself, because I've been an artist too, I painted myself in a surgical outfit. So if you come in the house, you don't know it's me. All you know is it's a surgeon. Cap, mask, and a (laughs) gown, all covered up. And that's what I had to realize. You're not... Shaving your head doesn't accomplish anything. What you need to uncover is what's within you and find faith. And uh, all those things I have worked on in my lifetime. And I think the more that we understand ourselves and who we are and why we are who we are, the easier it is to have faith, connect with the Lord we can have faith in. And, uh, you know, and it reflected the damage that I did in the past life with a sword on my life here. Because I have another book that's called Love, Animals, and Miracles, and I talk about the Seagull Zoo. We're always rescuing animals. And I mean, uh, I don't want to take up the whole program, just telling you every variety of animal we had fenced in on the property. And we did not live on a farm. We lived on a couple of acres you know, and all these creatures yeah. lived in the house, outside. I had pools, kiddie pools in the house for turtles and <laughs> snakes. With Just all kinds of things, even skunks and rabbits. And But I realized how sweet they were and intelligent they were. So with five kids, we took care of them. And veterinarians gave us exotic pets so that they didn't have to be killed when people didn't want them anymore. And uh, uh, it taught our kids to, well, Albert Schweitzer's message, a reverence for life, how precious life is. True. Yeah. We're seeing that now, especially with this pandemic and everything that's going on with this year, how fleeting, how appreciative we need to be of our current mindset of where we are in life and in our lives. Here's what I want to ask you the follow-up question. 
the fact that you're a trained physician and you have that part of your life and then you have this spiritual side, how were your colleagues when you first made the decision? First of all, I should ask you, when did you first make the decision to become public about having your spirituality as important in your life as it is in terms of talking about these type of topics like reincarnation and past lives. Mm. How, how was that as an experience for you? Cause I'm an attorney and I'm a psychic medium and I became a psychic medium at like 15 years ago, my grandfather passed, but I didn't share that part of my life with my colleagues and professionally doing what I'm doing now until like two or three years ago. So I had a process I had to go through in that particular journey. And I guess when I ask you the question is, how was your personal journey and your spiritual side matching with your, your medical career? And how did you bring those two well, together to harmonize? I couldn't deny what I was experiencing. I, I don't say, oh, it doesn't make sense. That can't be true. Uh, you, you'd be amazed that, you know, doctors denying what I'm saying to them. That's why I became a storyteller, because they couldn't deny my story about a patient. If I talked about statistics, they'd fight with me about that's a lousy study um, because they didn't want to believe it. But I believe what I experienced. And what changed me was a patient of mine saying, I need to know how to live between office visits. That flipped my lid because I thought, I don't have to be a failure. I mean, the suicide rate in doctors is higher than the general population. See? Because you can't cure everything. You can't save everybody's life. Yeah, yeah. And um, you're not a normal sir, uh, attorney, I can tell you that, and I'm not a normal <laughs> doctor. But what, <laughs> what magazines said that are lying here in my house still from, well, let's see, about 30 years ago, because it was in the 80s I really began to go out and talk and then wrote the book Love, Medicine, and Miracles. Um, it, it was seeing what was real and how people could have self-healing with faith and love. See, not what doctors call spontaneous remission. I realized when people didn't die when they were supposed to, they had a story to tell me about why they didn't die. Well, to mention an attorney, he was supposed to die in a few months. He wanted to be a violinist. His parents couldn't accept a violinist. They wanted an attorney as their son. So when he was told he has a few months to live, he closed his office started playing the violin, got a job at an orchestra, and a few years later, he's playing his violin in an orchestra, not dead. And it's the message his body got. Instead of, I love that. you know, a job I can't stand, uh, then the body says, I'll get you out of here. And Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. So you see how that affects you. And I have to say why you're not a normal uh, lawyer, because... A lawyer sent me an article that he had written for the Law Journal. He said in the middle of a crisis uh, where somebody was hit with a car on the street and some people he knew mm -hmm. and it was a disaster, they all rushed to the emergency room and they left their belongings, the cars, everything. So he thought, okay, where am I going to put their things? Where will I park the cars? Where will I? Then he thought, hey, stop thinking about all that. Go to the emergency room and be with them. That's what they need. And the sentence in his article was, while learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Two of our sons are attorneys. And I always made sure I went to their schools to talk to their class about feelings. 
And what's true about doctors, you see, if I'm treating a disease, as Jung said, the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. For there, the key thing is the story. For it shows human background and human suffering, and only at that point can the doctor's therapy begin to operate. But most doctors, well, you see the ads on television, you know, for drugs. Mm -hmm. And it blows my mind. One said, I was depressed. I went to see my physician. He prescribed, you know, antidepressant. I feel better now. I wrote to the company. I said, do me a favor. Add a sentence to your ad. Because what if her house burned down and her family all died and she's so depressed she goes to the doctor and he says, here's a pill? Don't you think he should say, and you could put it in the ad, Tell me, what's going on in your life that makes you feel this way? Then she can say, he prescribed this and it's helping me. They never respond to me. And, well, let me, the other side of the coin. A woman came in, I want surgery. And I looked at her record. She had been to a surgeon basically every six months or more. She had two or three operations every year for several years. And I said to her, it's obvious to me you're punishing yourself that you don't really need all this surgery. Because I could see she would drive doctors crazy. You know, it's like saying my shoulder hurts, and they'd finally operate on her shoulder. Um, So I said, if you want to come in, I'll talk to you. We'll try to straighten out your life. And she said, oh, you're a wise, smart man. You're right. I'll come in, and I'll talk. The insurance company wrote to me, And the letter said, we do not pay surgeons for talking. I wrote back to the company and I said, take a look (laughs) at the last year of her life. Notice how much money you've spent while I'm talking to her versus the year before while she was being operated upon by everybody because of her emotional problems. And they wrote back saying, keep talking. Well, at least there was somebody (laughs) human in their office. But... You know, we need to ask ourselves, why do I want to be a lawyer? See, it can be to help people. Why do I want to be a doctor? To help people. I'll tell you an interesting thing you could do. Draw yourself working as a lawyer. See, because I have done that with medical students and doctors. Draw yourself working as a doctor. Because the dreams and the drawings tell us about Well, it's like God talks in dreams and symbols. They tell us the inner truth that's going on in our psyche. And I was blown away the first time I did that with a whole medical student class. You get about 90 pictures back. (laughs) One didn't have a human being in it, just equipment. 96 had somebody sitting behind a desk with a diploma on the wall. And one young man kneeling in front of a lady in a wheelchair with his arm around her and handing her a tissue. So I would say in that whole class, there's only one real doctor caring for the person. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'm hearing you talk today. And one of the things I want to ask you about, you mentioned a couple of times that you go into a trance. And I wanted mm. to see if you could embellish on that a little for our audience, because they might be very intrigued by that. They're, you know, when you say you go into a trance, does that mean you have a connection to the spiritual side that gives you the ability, like I do as a psychic medium, yeah. where I pick up stuff? 
You know, can you elaborate on I, that a little bit? Cause I'm just very curious. I started. It started happening uh, years ago when I noticed I'd be out jogging or riding a bike that it was a repetitive physical activity. So my mind wasn't tied up in it. And then I would have really hear voices is the only way I can express it. Somebody would talk to me and ask me questions or tell me things. I mean, one moving example was the day my father was going to die. I mean, he said he's going to die Sunday and the whole family is going to get together. Um, and I'm walking along and I hear a voice say, how did your parents meet? I said, I don't know. Ask your mother when you get to the hospital, the voice said. And I did. And the answer to the statement was, your father lost a coin toss and got me because she was sitting on the beach with some <laughs> girls with a terrible reputation. Well, that changed the whole experience. My father started smiling, looking healthy. Um, I thought he was going to change his mind and not die because my mother went on telling more stories, and he literally died laughing when the last person... (laughs) See, again, how could he know who was coming? He can't. But when the last Mm -hmm. person who had said, I'm coming to see Grandpa before he dies, came in the room and was announced, he took his last breath. So again, you use this word in the introduction that there are no coincidences. That is absolutely true. That was another line from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I kept hearing from her all the time. Barney, there are no coincidences. See, and the way (laughs) Jung put it was, the the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. So I've had patients of mine who have been clairvoyants. And one came in one day and said, I've learned you're not a normal doctor, so I have a message for you from one of your patients who died. She mentioned his name. It's from Frank. And then she told me the message, and I called Frank's wife. I said, I don't want to upset you, but would you like to hear this? And I said it, and she screamed. I said, I didn't want to get you upset. You're not upsetting me. That's exactly what he said every time he left your support group, you know, the cancer support group meeting. And that was just exactly. And this same woman has brought me messages when members of my family have died. And she can't know they died. I mean, she doesn't live here. She's not Mm -hmm. a neighbor of mine, if you know what I mean. Um, Sure. When my wife died on a Friday, Sunday morning, the phone rang. Because I was waiting to see if it happened. And sure enough, it was Monica. Bernie, your wife is fine. She's back again with family. A lovely lady who was an opera singer got in touch with me to tell me everything's okay. And my wife's mother was an opera singer. Now, when I hear things like that, (laughs) you know, you can't deny that kind of truth. But if you want to have those messages, quiet your mind. See, I find the no coincidences... Um, these are things that happened to me in the last few days. I got a flat tire. And uh, I couldn't get the damn thing working to get the you know nuts and bolts off. And guy pulls his car up, says, hey, it's me. I'm your neighbor. I'll help you. Now, I was at the dump, dump, you know, driving out of the dump when I hit something and the tire blew. But here's my neighbor. 
Um, and, and those kinds of things are happening more and more. I, well, I went somewhere the other day, and one of our sons who lives over an hour away was there. Um, and it was like, wow, what are you doing here? But again, I get to see him. And uh, I can't remember what the other things were, but again, it's like people showing up when you decide to do something at a certain place at a certain time, and there they yeah. are. And I think when we You're work with, with that, yeah. that, that inner, you know, oh, it's like the feeling. What's the right thing to do in the, the right time? The synchronicity of it. Yeah. Stop yeah. thinking. I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of yeah. synchronicity. It's my favorite word. I pay attention to the subtle cues that the universe and God provides in terms of synchronicity. Like people come into your life. Us doing this interview today and having the overlap between our conversations, I feel like that's a mere synchronicity reflective of how we are all brought into each other's lives for a reason and a purpose, whatever that purpose is. Leading, right. lifelong, whatever. And I love that about it, about what you're describing. And in terms of your book with reincarnation, I mean, those are, those are things that I've, as a, as a, you know, my spiritual side that I invest heavily into from actually seeing firsthand the relevance of that in our spiritual development as people and on our journey. And, and a lot yeah. of us, I think, have a hard time understanding and dissecting between our spiritual side and our physical side, because like you, you're trained to be reductionistic as a, as a medical practitioner. Right. And I'm trained to be based on evidence as a lawyer. Right. And then there's yep. things that happen to us in our lives that, all that's out the window. <laughs> you just have Let to me have mention faith. something. You've got to understand. I, I found in, in college, I got a C in creative writing because I was thinking. <laughs> so I got a C. Now I don't think. And Mario Puzo was my friend, the author of uh, The Godfather. He would go into his office and say, okay, I got to do some writing now. And you'd look in and he's just sitting there at the desk. They say, hey, Mario, what's the point of sitting in there? Why don't you come out and join us? No, I'm waiting for the characters to tell me what to write. And boy, that yeah. explained things to me better than anything. You know, he was in that other place. Like, see, he's hearing a voice too, the character. I hear the voice sure. too. So when I'm writing, I get into that state, so to speak. And I love reading my own books because it's like somebody <laughs> else wrote it. You know, I'll be reading and I'll say, oh, that's really good. You wrote it. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> sure. But it's, it's this, you know, I, and I think we're all multiple personalities. But who yeah. are the other personalities within you? You know, what are they here to do? Crime? You know, were they unloved as children and now they're out killing and just doing horrible things? Uh, to get even with their parents and their treatment, or are they here to love and uh, to be what I call a tool for God or God's right arm, you know, that sort of thing. So I always feel my job is to help people to heal. You know, as my patient said, how to live between office visits. We all need help living, and and by loving each other, I know we can do amazing things. I mean, one of the things, well, two things. One, I tell people to be a love warrior. Use love as your weapon. When people are driving you nuts, say, I love you. And then they don't know what to do. <laughs> I've 
done this, <laughs> and, I, and, and I mean this seriously, if you're ever confronted by some violent person on the streets, look at them and say, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want you to know I'm sorry. And I want you to know I love you. I've done that at least three times. That's beautiful. And I think that's beautiful. I um, One violent yeah, young sure. man, I went over to his car because he was screaming and cursing at everybody. And the cops said that's not their job to make him be quiet. So I walked over to his car with our kids really worried. And I just said to him, I want you to know I love you. I'm sorry your parents don't. He stopped screaming, made a U-turn, and drove away. And I always say I hope he went home and talked to his parents about needing their love. And other violent people on the street, too, I've said it. And then the people on the street with me say, oh, my God, thank you, thank you. I can't believe what happened when you said that. But it works. And I'd rather die, even if the person didn't, you know, stop with love in my heart than hating somebody. Absolutely. I want to ask you this. Looking at everything you've just discussed with us today, plus your background and everything you've experienced in your life, love is an important aspect of healing. I want to ask you, what do you mm-hmm. think about forgiveness? One's ability to forgive and its relationship oh, yeah. to love. What's your personal opinion on that from your experiences in your well, life? Well, I, I often bring up forgiving versus forgetting. If you try to forget, you're not going to get anything out of it. But when you can forgive, you will give yourself a gift. And I've learned that from people who, again, have robbed me, well, robbed our hotel room, robbed me of money, done all kinds of things. And I know that when I can forgive them, I'm free of the burden. You know, I'm not, oh, that goddamn, I'm going to get a lawyer, I'm going to get him out. <laughs> Why can't the police find him? Um, I mean, this is a specific example. We were around Thanksgiving time, out of town, giving a lecture, went to get dinner in the hotel, get back to our room, it's been robbed. And I saw this weird-looking guy in the hallway, and I wondered, see, again, intuitively, I knew this is not normal. There's a man standing in a hotel hallway doing nothing, not getting on the elevator, not going in the room, but I wasn't smart enough at that time to interpret it. So we come back from dinner, the room's been robbed. And I know it's it's him. He had a key to the room, wasn't even broken into. So I call the police, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm still, you know, I wish I were back in the hallway. I'd grab that guy. I would teach him a lesson. I would, or else I'd lock him in the room until the police came. I, and I realized he's still robbing you. Look how much time you're aggravating yourself over him. And then Christmas came. And suddenly the wonderful thought popped into my head. Hey, what if he took the money and the valuables that he stole from you and your wife and used them to buy his children Christmas presents because he hasn't been able to afford much for them in previous years? I had a big smile on my face. Oh, yeah. I love that <laughs> idea. And, you know, from then on, if I think of that man, I smile because of that thought. 
Now, if you said to me, it's highly unlikely he bought his kids Christmas presents, it's more likely he bought drugs and liquor and who knows. I don't care. But it changed me to see it in that way. And so that's how I feel. (laughs) You know, and if people communicate with me, uh, I have to say there are times I do ask for a lawyer. You know, but if somebody Mm -hmm. lies to me... I loan them money. They never pay me back. But if they call up and say, I'm sorry, my life is a mess, and I'm in a difficult situation, and I'm sorry. That's the words I look for. I'm sorry. Sure. Not 10 excuses and uh, I'll pay you next week, you know, lying. But all I want is a human being. And let me say this because we talked about doctors. I tell people, you want a good doctor, go to a doctor and say, are you ever criticized by nurses, family, or patients? And if they don't say yes, get another doctor. Now, why do I say that? <laughs> because the good doctor hears that from a patient and says, I'm sorry, you know, I'll, I'll handle that in a better way next time. They're learning from them. They're being coached by patients and nurses, see, And that's what is significant. So if I have somebody, and I've done this, work on my house, and they don't repair it properly, and I call them up and they say, this is a quote from somebody, your house is a problem. I said, my house was not a problem until you started working on it. Goodbye. Now, if he said to me, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I missed something, let me get over there and see what needs to be done. I say, fine, get your butt over here and come on. But when he blames my house for his bad work, and, you know, and there are many people who who do that. They don't want to come back. They don't want to help me, uh, tell me how to take care of it. No, they just don't answer their phone, don't return calls. That's sad to me um, that they can't sure. say, I'm sorry, let me come over and see what I can do. The buck stops with the person. Accept <laughs> your accountability yeah. and your responsibility if you make a mistake, for sure. And as a doctor, I, I too, I learned to say, I'm sorry, you know, and people you know, forgave that's me. That's one of the most important lessons. Yeah, and the nurses, well, one of the interesting things, too, was the nurses were always telling me how to do things better. And I said to them, what am I, the worst doctor in the hospital? You're always all telling me what to, how to do it. And they said, no. We know you care, so we tell you. The other doctors don't listen, so we don't bother to tell them. Boy, that I was so glad that day that I said to that nurse, what am I, the worst doctor? Because I was seeing it as criticism, and they were seeing it as training. You know, they were being my coaches, not my critics. Sure. So it was very different. I want to go to your book, Three Men, Six Lives, and I want to ask you, out of these three characters, which do you – I think you may mentioned George was your – is that representative of you in this book? Yeah, the surgeon, yeah. The surgeon, okay. Well, I mean, and he I want had my you, experience. Let me say, in terms of representation, he had my experience, okay, okay. Um, of, you know, killing with a sword and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. interesting, just as an aside for a moment – one of our kids came home from school with the word words on a canvas. 
several feet in size, just words, words, words. Mm. And when you look at it, you realize they spell sword, sword, swords. W-O-R-D-S, W-O-R-D-S. Yeah. That's, see, you talk about coincidences. Why would a kid in school do that? I think it had some interaction with my past life, words and swords. You can kill with words. You can I kill reassurance. with reassurance. Hmm. Reassurance of the spirituality but, within your life coming through your, your messages with your, your creativity and, and being able to inspire others. That's why I see that. Well, it it that that's really the meaning in my life is to help others. Um, that's what that. I feel I'm here for and uh, just to keep doing it. And uh, a thank you is- means a lot. Let me say this. I also tell people sure. if they want to know how to do it, to become CDs or CMs. You have any idea what that means? Not offhand, no. I've not heard that before. Chosen dad or chosen mom. A suicidal oh, okay. <laughs> young lady in my office gave me that title one day. She said, you're my CD. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you're my chosen dad. And from that day on, when I would hear from people who are suicidal, self-destructive, I'd say, look, I love you. I'll be your father. I'll love you. And there are literally quite a number of people alive today. I mean, I have cards here. I always say, because um, this card said, Happy Father's Day for my bonus dad. She gave me a new title, a BD instead of a CD. But I hear from her, it's for decades, because she called me years ago to say, if you have Jack Kevorkian's phone number, I'd like it because I want to be dead. And I told her I loved her. And she's down in Texas, and we met, and she's still alive and sending me wonderful cards that really inspire me and keep me going. And uh, that's the part I'd say, that we can do that for each other. And if you want to live forever, that's one of the other things. Love is immortal and makes all things immortal. And that's from you. A, a book, you know, by uh, William Soroyan, uh, The Human Comedy. I recommend it to everybody. It was made into a movie okay. many years ago with Mickey Rooney. But, um, you know, it, it's the love. The authors know that. The Bridge of San Luis Rey. Uh, you know, where the bridge breaks and everybody dies. Um, but again, what is we learn that, you know, there's a land of the living and the land of the dead, and the bridge is love. They, That's what the only I 100% survival. agree with you on that. 100%. Yeah. I believe that when we transcend to the other side, love keeps us united to our loved ones that are deceased. And that's right. how they can communicate to us in dreams or through subtle messages or whatever. Well, and, in, um, yes, it's like the that's something course. else. I don't know if I mentioned it. I can't remember what's in the book. But after my wife died, numbers became incredibly significant as a way for her to communicate with me. We were married on Angel the 11th. Like, uh-huh. No, meaningful numbers in our life. We were married on okay. the 11th, July 11th. I have found a diamond a penny over 10 or 11 times in strange, weird places, in bird baths, you know, on the street, um, in shopping malls, just lying there, a dime and a penny. And uh, (laughs) 
So the pennies became pennies from heaven because of grandchildren naming them, but a dime and a penny. So I keep them now in my pocket with a picture of my wife next to my heart. The other thing that it taught me about my body was nine months after she died, my heart beat went crazy, what's called auricular fibrillation. And I thought, that is so classical of all the things I'm preaching. The person I love died. What organ in my body is going nuts? My heart. And I go to the emergency room, and as I said, my wife was born on 9-9. I walk in the emergency room, and a voice way in the back said, put him in room 9. And I thought, (laughs) okay, my wife's watching out for me already. They said, we can't find a room up in the hospital for you. The next day, yeah, the room came. So they send me upstairs, room 819. See, it would add up to 99, but 8 is a new beginning number. Then I look at my wristband that they put on you, you know, with your patient number and the case number. My patient number is 8996633. Everything adds up to nines, and so did the case number. And every... Wow. time I've gone to the doctor, all the numbers always add up to nine. I mean, it's... how you're protected. You're being looked yeah, after. Yeah, I know she's <laughs> watching out for me, and uh, I could keep telling you stories, but things that happen oh, in the house that. and elsewhere, I mean, I know that, again, whether it's past life, but also that there's a spirit part to us, a soul part. Um, and... I've experienced it after my wife died. My personal belief on that is that we're 99.9% spirit. Our bodies are just right. like old cars. They, they deteriorate and we continue on and we go to that next yep. spot and we're still connected to everybody here. We're like a reality show to them over there on the other side. Your wife can watch you and appear in your dreams yes. and leave you dimes and pennies regularly in the nine number and, mm-hmm. you know, the 7-Eleven. Oh, let me tell you this because this one – blew my mind, really made me believe in spirits. You know, because sometimes you watch on television, you know, all these crazy stories about haunted houses and things like that, you know. And that's kind of hard for me to believe. But let me tell you what happened one morning. I get up and I go around. I, I still sleep in the same bed my wife and I slept in. So I go around to the other side to pull the blankets back, you know, to even everything out again. And as I picked up the sheets and blankets to pull them, they pulled out of my hands. It was like something <laughs> pulled them from the other side of the bed. And lying there on the sheet, on the mattress, were a dime and a penny in the bed. You could not make that up. You couldn't script that. <laughs> no. And it's like, how the hell, you know, if somebody said, oh, it fell out of your pocket, I'm not sleeping in my pants with pennies exactly. you know money in my pocket and and that's the part that boy it blows your mind when you have that happen to you and as i say i don't try to deny or make excuses it happened even if i can't explain it it's real i know that you know what i think too i think just the fact that you've had your classical training as a doctor and a surgeon and then you've embarks on your spiritual spiritual journey. Some people ignore their spiritual journeys when they have them come right. to their, you know, to their 
fruition that they're aware of, and you've embraced it. And not only did you embrace it, you made it an important part of your life. I think it's interesting that you got a C in creative writing, and yet now you're a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> right. You can look at that in your life and say, well, that's because I was thinking too hard. Yeah. I'm actually writing with my heart. Here it is. <laughs> that's right. That's great. Yeah, I was that's writing <laughs> with my head in college because I was a yep. science major, you know, taking all these courses to be ready for medical school. And now it's coming from my heart. I don't just think. I feel. And that's why, you know, as I say, I've learned a lot from studying lawyers and how they're thinking. Yes, we need to know how to think, but you've got to also pay attention to feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I think is one of the biggest blessings in my life is that I have the spiritual side as well. Even just doing this type of podcast outside of my law practice, it offers me such a refreshing experience to have people like you come right. on and have conversations with you. and inter- I just find it so exhilarating for me. I want to ask you this. We're running low on time, but if you could believe how fast this went. <laughs> I want to ask you, looking at your career and everything that you've done, what would you attribute the most significant spiritual experience in your life and how it guided you to where you are today? I'd say it. one was the, with the parents I had because of their messages to me. And I'll tell you, they're just... Because I learned that people like my friend Norman Vincent Peale, his mother would say similar things to him as my mother. Um, Mom, I had a horrible day today. Norman's mother would say, Norman, if God slams one door further down the corridor, another will be open. My mother would say, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. Now, let me tell you, when you're a kid... And you come home from school with a horrible day, and your mother says, God is redirecting you. My first reaction was, Ma, can't you help me? (laughs) (laughs) But I started talking to God because I said, my mother's no help. But you see what I learned. Let me just give you all the other messages. See, God is redirecting you. Mom, I have to make a decision. Do what makes you happy. Ma, don't you want to help me decide? Do what makes you happy. And my father's father died of tuberculosis, leaving no finances, no insurance, the wife and six kids. And my father said, my father dying when I was 12 years old, one of the best things ever happened to me. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it taught me what was important about life. So he was always helping people um, to survive. And he never expected anything back from them. And that's part of my, like in my genes too. So I'm here, again, to help people. I'm, as the other thing my mother said, I pay attention to my feelings and that's how I decide whether it's choosing a career or where you live or who you marry or, you know, I'm not thinking about what's the best thing. It's what feels right. And, uh, you know, that if I can be patient, God is redirecting you. You know, so whether it's what I call the spiritual flat tire, this has happened to me. You get a flat tire on the way to the airport. Oh, God damn it, I'm going to miss it. I won't get to my lecture. What am I going to do? You get to the airport and they say, you know, you missed your plane. I said, yes, I know that. Well, you're very lucky because the plane you missed just crashed. Then you go back and kiss the tire. 
And the other time, Absolutely. no coincidences, I'm on a plane going up to Canada, blizzards and everything, and, oh, God, it was a mess. And so we finally, well, what was funny is they announced when we got on the plane, the conditions are terrible. We don't know if we can land at the same airport we're supposed to. We don't know. We're asking for volunteers to leave the plane so we'll have extra fuel. Everybody got off the plane <laughs> except <laughs> two people and my wife and I. Because by the time the pilot was done telling us what the dangers were, who the hell wanted to go? Well, we get there, and I walk in the airport, and I say, okay, i got to get to my connecting flight. Oh, you're late. That left hours ago. I said, no, it didn't. Pilot of my plane is the pilot of that plane. You talk about a coincidence, because there was nobody (laughs) on the plane, so I was talking to the pilots. And he said he was the pilot of this next flight that was going up, you know, to the town, the city where we were going to go. And I said, hey, that's not, well, they're going to hold the plane for me because I'm the pilot. So we got there in time despite all the disasters because we had our own pilot. And again, you know, it, it's whether it's my mother saying God is redirecting you, but that was quite an accomplishment to have the pilot and make it on time. I like that. I'm going to use that in the future when there's somebody who comes to me for guidance. I'm going to be like, God's redirecting you. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to attribute it to you in this interview. Cause I like that. That kind of message is very um, – it makes you really look at your life and, and think that there's a bigger purpose than just what you might be self-involved right. with and, on and an average person. And to stop judging, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. Because you're – you know, like my flat tire the other day. I mean, I met so many nice people who were helping me. Um, my neighbor pulls over and stops. Yeah, the guy from AAA, one of our sons showed up, um, and and everything worked out, you know. And, and that's the part that always makes me grateful that those things happen. And as Elizabeth would say, and it's no coincidence, it, it's meant to be in that way even this i live on a circle a street that's a circle it's 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 at the end of a dead end so a street comes up then makes a complete circle around and i find when i walk the dog which way do you walk to the left or right what time do you walk and who you meet that day it fascinates me because there are many times if i turn right i wouldn't meet somebody that I met turning left, you know, and, and it's something significant that begins to happen when you meet that person. So I, I'd say to, to people, stop thinking and pay attention to what feels right. Because I often, you know, my wife is a spirit now, I often say to her, where should I walk the dog? Which way should I go? You know, wait for her to give me um, Guidance. a message. And then I do that. Yeah. That's phenomenal. My condolences to you about the loss of your wife, by the way. I know that that's hard, especially when you're, it's happened in the past. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a connection that's going well, to endure forever. Well, it was forever. peaceful. I mean, what was shocking mm-hmm. to me was going to get her up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And she looked so peaceful and beautiful. I walked over to the bed, took her hand, and I felt how cold it was. She had died in her sleep during the night. Peaceful, very peaceful. And let me sure. tell you, in our family, yeah. Everybody has died peacefully, um, That's either in their sleep. 
um, you know, because they, they weren't, um, when they were tired of their bodies. My father-in-law said, I'm not having dinner, mm-hmm. I'm not having any medications, you know, goodbye. And he went to sleep <laughs> and died in his sleep. Um, so whether it's my mother-in-law, my mother, oh, yeah, this is something people should understand, too. My mother was so busy living her son's sermon. She had developed leukemia and taught her doctors, had, uh, you know, what an amazing patient she was. And she was so good at it, I forgot she had leukemia. I mean, that may sound crazy, but you forget your mother has cancer. Because she said to me, i got to go get my blood count. I said, Ma, what do you need a blood count for? Don't you remember? I had forgotten she had cancer. But she was living such a wonderful, full life. It literally left my mind. And when she died, five doctors called up to say, what a wonderful lady, and she taught them so much. But what I knew was, if she was living my sermon and she was ready to die, she didn't want me there. So when she was getting ready to die, I would leave the room for half hour or so. And I told people, it's not because I'm a terrible son who doesn't want to stay with his mother. It's to give her the freedom to die and not upset me, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like if I'm going to live the sermon, I should be immortal. And sure enough, Mm -hmm. I left the room for half an hour, came back, and they said, your mother died. Yeah. And I tell that, especially to parents of kids who are dying. I say, look, if you go to get lunch at the hospital cafeteria and you come back and find out your kid died, don't get upset. They did that to make it easier for you. So we have a exactly. lot of control exactly. over all these things. Absolutely. I want to ask you, so we're running low on time, I want to ask you one last question. I usually ask my guests this. Since you're a spiritual person, you might appreciate this question. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? And I'll go first to give you an indication. I always tell people I'd consider myself an owl as my spirit animal because I appreciate birds. I have two parrots. Um, But more importantly than that, I I like to look at all angles of something. You know, owls can look all around and see from above and the wisdom and all that. So that's what I consider myself as a spirit animal. I was wondering if you happen to have one that you could think of, not to put you on the spot, but just curiosity. No, our house, like right now, I'm living with a dog and cats. Maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, I love both of them, so I'd probably want the mm-hmm. two spirits. And I'll tell you why. I mean, you know, the dog is my companion, loving me. But the cats, I noticed something, which made me very feel special. I've written an article entitled My New Girlfriends. My wife died. You know, I mentioned we slept together. But what happens? I lie down to take a nap in the afternoon, and the cat named uh, Princess jumps up and lies down beside me or on me and sleeps with me. In the evening, I go to bed. I have a cat named Hope. She jumps up and joins me. So I wrote an article, My New Girlfriends, because it's so (laughs) obvious that they are doing this to make me feel better and not be lonely. They never did Absolutely. it before, you know? Yeah. And I've seen that with our dogs and cats over the years, um, that they would do things for us. I mean, one of them was like uh, a foot warmer. He would jump up, his name was Furphy, <laughs> on the bed and warm up the foot of the bed where my wife's feet were, and she'd get in bed, and, oh, it feels so good. 
because he'd been there for an hour or so lying on that spot. And it's obvious that they're with us thinking and loving. And so I think I would go with that. And I had one cat named Miracle. She was named after a cat in a dream who said to the lady, this is how you should treat your cancer. My name is Miracle. And <laughs> she told it to her doctor, and he did it, and she was cured of her cancer. And I named a cat Miracle, and one of our kids brought it in. And Miracle, you <laughs> see, again, was a miracle. She lived to over 20 years and died of a reaction to a medication for her thyroid. Um, uh-huh. Not of ill health, but to a medication which broke my heart. Um but Miracle sure. was so intelligent. If you have a, one moment, she used to go everywhere with me. The way you would take a dog, she'd go for walks. Mm-hmm. I took her into nursing homes, uh, everywhere, group meetings. And she got along with everybody. And um, it, 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 she's just such an amazing teacher. Uh, I entered her in a dog show because she was that kind of a creature, you know, like a dog, ready <laughs> to everything and everybody. So we show up at the dog show with some of my dogs and Miracle. And they said, the veterinarian who was running it said, this is a dog show. I said, she thinks she's a dog and I didn't want to upset her. So I signed her up. <laughs> well, he didn't know what to do with me because he thought he's psychotic. <laughs> so... She got so much attention from the whole... Can you imagine a cat in the middle of a dog show? You know, a 200-pound dog <laughs> comes trotting yeah. over, and Miracle <laughs> would just raise her nose, and they'd rub their noses. No fear. So she was the hit of the show, just standing on the side, you know. And the next year, though, is why I tell this story, because I get such a kick. The veterinarian put up signs again advertising the dog show. At the bottom of the sign, it said... For dogs only. <laughs> and I knew he <laughs> was saying, Siegel, don't you dare show up. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you this. What do you have coming up next? I know you, this book's coming out or is, is out about right now, Three Men, Six Lives. Is there any other well, I you just, want to share with our audience? It's like three books have just come out. You know, one is called No Endings, Only Beginnings. I was thinking of writing Bible too. But I think that book that just came out this year, No Endings, Only Beginnings, well, the subtitle, A Doctor's Notes on Living, Loving, and Learning Who You Are. And I'd say, again, I read it, you know, I reread it every night uh, when I go to bed, uh, like a three or four page little section um, to teach you a lesson. And I would tell people to get it, read it in little segments. The poetry book with our grandchild, Charlie, a conversation about life between grandfather and grandson, when you realize how perfect everything is. And I would say to people, write your poetry. Keep a journal. See, what impressed me about Charlie is he was enlightened at age 30. Uh, It took me over 60 years to learn what he already knows. But it was amazing how our poems are the same. And then one book I still read, I think I wrote it 14 or more years ago, 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. I love that. Every day there's another message for you. And the thing that I find most striking is, even though I've read it year after year, I forget each day. 
So when I read it again a year later, it's like, oh, yeah, thank you. And I love to reread those stories and reawaken me to what has happened in my life that was significant. And I would say to people, write those poems. Keep the journal. And what my wife taught me most of all, Bernie, what? I saw your journal lying out last night. You forgot to hide it because I didn't want anybody to read all my troubles. She said, there's nothing funny in it. I said, yeah, my life isn't funny. And then she told me many stories of things that happened at the hospital that had the whole family laughing. And I never (laughs) put them in the journal. And that, boy, was a, thank God that happened, a real awakening. Put the humor in, too. Don't forget the good things that happen. And I'd say that to people also. So when Charlie and I write our poems, it's not just about, oh, all our aches and pains and troubles. It's about the beauty of life, too. And I have to remind you, there are no coincidences, you know. Because you look up at the blue sky, who decided it should be blue? Why is a leaf (laughs) green? I mean, creation is magic. And uh, it's the most beautiful so thing in the world I, and in our universe. I love creation and I love talking to God. Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on today because I think this is just an amazing interview. Having you share your opinions and viewpoints with our audience is a gift for each of us. And I really want to thank you for coming on to talk about Three Men, Six Lives. Just your background. I mean, being a, being a, an author and a, and a spiritual being and <laughs> a physician, but that's such a, a combination of, and, and in understanding the value of love and uh, perspective. I just, I really appreciate you. Thank you're, you. You're like a breath of fresh air for our show today. Well, I, really you're, mean that. I have and, to say you're an exceptional person um, you. because listening is the most significant thing of all when you, well, let me, if you have time for one test question, you have to yeah, be blind or deaf tomorrow, which would you have, pick? No, listen. If I have to be all right, you have to be blind or deaf tomorrow. Which would you pick? Because I'm very into the auditory in my life. I love music. You're an exceptional human being. The only major group that picks blind are musicians. But (laughs) let me share Helen Keller's statement with you, because she taught me about listening to patients. And when I was done listening, they'd say, thank you, that's the greatest conversation I've had with anyone. And I didn't say a word for an hour. I mean it (laughs) in one case. But this is Helen Keller. I've heard of the stars of the rainbows, of the play of light on the waves. These I would like to see. But far more than sight, I wish for my ears to be opened. The voice of a friend, the imaginations of Mozart. Life without these is darker by far than blindness. And Helen Keller has always been my teacher. Read her book, My Religion. I mean, there's a woman who ain't angry at anybody despite what happened to her when she was like two and a half years old, blind and deaf, but not cursing, not wondering why God punished me, but teaching everybody. So learn to listen to yourself and to other people. Have you ever had goosebumps when you have a spiritual conversation with somebody? It's like a reassurance from the other side. I just got goosebumps along my entire arms from when you just did the Helen Keller quote. <laughs> I want to share that with you. Well, to me that I, I, I can't say literally I get goosebumps, but 
Yeah. I mean, I know when something special happens. One more humorous thing. That just thing happened I with your <laughs> I was jogging down the street. I did a lot of running years ago. And um, I was singing the wrong lyrics because I was singing, I am strong and thou art weak. And I heard a voice say, you have the words wrong. It should be, thou art strong and I am weak. And then the voice said, but you know, Bernie, I've done a good job with you. So never mind, go ahead. And I broke out <laughs> in this wonderful smile. It was like God telling me it's okay. <laughs> because, I mean, my wife says it very well. Because when I would tell stories, people say, where did that happen? It came from God knows where. And I thought, that is the truth. You know, my wife just said it spontaneously as a way to try to explain. There is no answer to the things her husband says. It comes from God knows where. But that's the truth. It comes from God knows where. I'll tell you this in passing, and our last part of this. You're going to be greeted by your wife on the other side. And for some reason, yes. I share that just to let you know that because I feel your connection is so strong. With you. We all have a greeter. And when I do readings with people or people come through on the other side, they always relay they have a certain greeter that acquaints them and orientates them to, to when they cross over. And she's absolutely going to be waiting there for you, ready to oh, extend sure. her arms and hug you and, and welcome you there. That's one thing I will I know. guarantee. I'm not like you'll be able to come back and tell us right away, but – I'm just sharing that oh, with I'm you. Oh, I'm talking to her all I the time. Her pictures are all over the I house. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that strong connection between the two of you and the love and, and just all you've created well, the, together. The one I wouldn't doubt. physical connection, after she died, from a few months, at night, when I'd get in bed, I'd hear the sound as if you were blowing out a candle. <clears throat> and I'd feel a breeze on my face. Wow. And there's no explanation for that one but i knew my wife was blowing me a kiss every night when i went to bed <laughs> i'd hear puff the and boat. breeze on my face and those are the things i say they happen i i don't yeah. you know i'm not trying to explain it i'm not trying to deny it i'm not trying to convince anybody of anything all i can do is say it happens and i think when your mind is quiet that's when those things happen. But when you're grieving, miserable, unhappy, you know, interested in yourself, uh, then those things don't happen. So quiet your mind Absolutely. and amazing things will happen. Can I just tell you what a refreshing experience this was for me? <laughs> I know our audience is going to enjoy this just as much as I did, but I want to thank you for coming on. And um, well, any, you're anytime special, you I ever said. want to come back. Thank you. You're not thank a normal you. attorney, and that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I take that as a compliment, 100%. Trust me. I was going to say, right. my show is always an open door to you, sir. Anytime you want to come on and talk spiritual stuff with me, I would love to have you on anytime. It's such a pleasure. Right. To, to, well, to put have me your, down for something a few presence. months from now because uh, I, I get so involved I forget back. things and just get in touch I'll again, all right? Absolutely, thank you. Sir. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, such a pleasure. God thank bless. you for everything. Appreciate it. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. I just want to truly thank Dr. Siegel for coming on the show and sharing his experiences with us and his background and opinions. I, one of the best things I enjoy when I do my podcast is being able to have these amazing people 
highlighted. And it's just, it blows me away. You could tell by my reaction right now that I'm kind of at a loss for words, which someone like myself being a lawyer and who likes to talk, obviously I have my own show. I like to talk. That should tell you something. I, I really, really appreciate Dr. Seal in many ways. First off, his training as a physician. Then he indicated during his interview that he had a C in creative writing. Like he's got this such a realness to him and authenticity and the layers. And you see this amazing individual who values love, who values healing, talks about these spiritual topics with such comfort. I, I love this term love warrior because that's something I want to, I like to adopt certain phrases that inspire me. The term love warrior inspires me. I don't know what you may think when you hear that term, but that just sounds amazing. Bringing love to others, love and un, unlimited resource. And we need to do that more. And I think Dr. Siegel shows that his career working with cancer patients and just everything he's done with the prolific writing that he's done and all the channels that he's been in, in terms of the avenues of people he's worked with. I just think that's such an, an amazing thing. I will say that Dr. Siegel to me represents someone who lives life by their example and not just in words, but through actions. And I highly recommend Three Men, Six Lives as something to pick up and check into and look at. There's also a lot of other works from Dr. Siegel. If you want to check out his website, it's BernieSiegelMD.com. That's B-E-R-N-I-E-S-I-E-G-E-L-M-D.com. I'm going to list his website within the program notes. I encourage you to look at his information, check it out. New York Times bestselling author, lecturer, founder of the Exceptional Cancer Patients Program and a retired pediatrics general surgeon. You can't ask for a more talented individual who really grasps and understands not only the medical side of our lives, but the spiritual side and the mind, body, spirit, and the connection between all those interplaying with each other. So I just want to tell each of you in the audience, thank you so much for supporting our show. Thank you for listening to this episode and check out Dr. Siegel's information. Look at the three men, six lives book and his other works. When you realize how perfect everything is, Love Medicine and Miracles, and all the other books that are as well involved here. Um, past life and the topic of synchronicity, these are things that are very dear to myself. There are no mere coincidences, as we discussed during the interview. Dr. Siegel has a lot of courage, a lot of moral courage, to be able to be who he is. Another example, live fearlessly. When it comes to your spirituality and the things that you're most passionate about, live fearlessly. Dream amazingly. Look at the world, not at the negativity of it. Look at it for the positives. Think of everything that's offered in your life on a daily basis and how appreciative we can be. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And without any further delay, I will tell you we have more episodes coming into the podcast. So if any of you have any questions and you want to have to reach out to me directly, you can, you can reach out to me via email at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. I'm always happy to receive input from anybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe, stay smart, and be happy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. 
If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business, spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.